0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick. My partner, Jennifer Colardi, is joining us shortly. And this is the show where we talk to comics and entertainers about their mental health, and we practice mental health and resilience skills because mental health is more than a topic. It's more than a dessert topping. It's a practice. Okay. Now, our guest today is an old friend, and I don't know why I keep saying now, probably to keep myself in the present. Our old old friend, a multi-talented comic, photographer, musician, constant creator, multiple podcasts, from Five Minutes with Mike Carano to the Dr. Drew podcast and the After Disaster podcast, so many other things. Mr. Mike Carano is here. Michael will be joining us shortly. And I want to talk today about people who have a fear of conflict, because I don't want to say that I can relate to it, but I can't really set any limits about it because I have so much of it. Also, the lies that we tell ourselves and others. This is going to be a good show about lying. Um, it's not something that people talk about all the time openly but I think a lot of the issues stem from fear and then the lies that that occur inside. And when I say we, I mean me in the show, this is all personal stuff that I have to share or I'm gonna go insane. <laughs> and other than that, as well as the art of apologizing, no one, is, no one does it more, but are you good at it? And, and what are the rules and how do you do it? We're gonna to talk to Jennifer about all those things. Now, thank God we have a licensed therapist on the show, because otherwise you'd be stuck with me, and I'm an unemployed jacket salesman. You don't need that. But our our friend from the North and the South coming up shortly, uh, Jennifer Kalari, has an amazing organization called ConnectedParenting.com, and this is an organization where she uh, helps teach people, kids, families, parenting, and self-parenting. You don't really hear that term a lot. But self-parenting, the relationship that you have with your thoughts and feelings, often you're the parent and you, and it's how you deal with what goes on inside of you that relates how you're going to be in the world, how you're going to move through the world. And this is something that needs a lot of attention, a lot of focus. If you followed anything that's happening in the world, you know that people don't pay attention to their thoughts and feelings uh, and don't have insights about how to relate to those things. And that's why. Um, we have what we have, but I believe in the Alan Ball theory. The man who wrote American Beauty is that there—it's not that there's not any be- There's not enough beauty in the world. There's actually too much beauty, and people don't know how to handle it. And when I say people, I mean me. Again, I want to tell you about a new 24-hour streaming mental health news channel that's happening. Uh, it's called MNN. Because it's all about me it's a network that's all about me here are some headlines from the MNN, the 24 hour streaming mental health news channel a woman in illinois outruns her feelings in a 10k race that actually happened in illinois marvel studios bows with an unknown superhero called the enabler this is a new unheralded great granddaughter of thor who has the superpower that's greater than thunder and has developed uh, from an inability to set limits. The enabler begins filming over the summer. The adult bakery TNA, now making positive body image cakes and pies. They've retooled some of their products and are making life sweeter through self-acceptance. Body positive cakes. In the city of Prague, special guide dogs are being trained to help, uh, learn, to help people learn the skills of resting, cuddling and feeling okay about it. This is uh, being reintroduced, it's the art of cuddling, it's an online course and will feature over 73 breeds of dogs simply lying around. They'll be voiced and so you can actually hear what they're thinking while they're doing this. It is a choice and it's an obligation. Um, the Pixar Studios characters uh, and celebrity uh, therapy tapes are uh, unifying in order to help people realize that we're all the same. And when it comes to our thoughts and feelings, uh, this is who needs to teach us most. The Pixar Studios characters are getting together for this. The first uh, video that they're creating is a series where toys at a Jewish retirement home dealing with feelings of abandonment in Oi story. Yes, I said it. The Weather Channel has started a new, bold project where meteorologists will teach people about their emotional climate change. When your own ice caps are melting because you're running too hot, what do you do? And the Mental Health Comedy Store, this is our store where we sell a lot of different kinds of merch, has a new conflict organizer called Conflict Up. It helps you organize your conflicts through a color-coordinated cataloging system that helps you organize into areas of priority, what you should worry about most, when, and how often. Conflicta, let's get it on. Now, I wanna bring in my co-host from the North and the South, Jennifer Kalari, the first lady of oxytocin. And Jennifer, um, I wanna talk to you a little bit today about lying. Where does this come from, the lies that we tell ourselves? For me, it's fear it's a fear that I'm going to lose something. I did something wrong. I'm going to lose someone. I'm going to lose a job. I'm going to lose something. And so I immediately start to panic. My whole thoughts quicken up. I'm racing around like Blade Runner in my head and I lie.
1: So here's the thing with lying. First of all, we all lie. Um, and there's variations of the truth, right? And and there's, there's some complexity to lying because there's different types of lying, right? There's there's white lies and social lies, which are like, you know, somebody changes their hair and you're like, whoa, but you don't want to say it and hurt their feelings. Uh, There's a time to not be blunt and just speak the truth. Right. Um, And there's times where, we're you know, I don't know, we're going back when we could actually leave the house. Um, You go to movies with your kids and you're like, tell them you're 12. Right. To save money. So we, we do this all the time. Um, And it's very confusing as kids and it's confusing as we grow up and, and, and children grow up watching their parents. Choosing these different behaviors. Um, and then there's, you know, sort of lies to get out of things. Uh, the most malicious kind of lying is literally just making something up to hurt someone else. Uh, but the most common type of lying is what you're talking about, Ed, which is, you know, to, to get out of danger, to get out of trouble, right? It's, it's a pretty quick escape hatch. Um, and then the interesting part is lying causes so much anxiety. Because when you tell a lie, then you've got to remember who you told the lie to, what exactly you said, and often have to make, you know, come up with other lies to cover up and to protect that lie. Um, Younger kids and teenagers, as they're kind of figuring out, first of all, it's a sign of intelligence. So that's a, that's a good sign. Um, Kids, kids, you know, will lie a lot when they're, when they're little and they're really good at it. There was a really interesting study with like CIA agents whose job, I think whose job it is to detect lies were like couldn't do it with kids. They're impossible. They're so good. And I think part of that is their inner world is so magical that it feels like the truth to them, which is why it sounds, which is why it's difficult to detect as a lie. So, and the other piece, and then we can kind of dissect, dissect all this is that most of us, if not all of this, all of us get just as upset when people don't believe their our lies as when they don't believe our truth. So that's really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I I grew up in a family where, um, you know, my father would, was, my mother would say, your father is honest to a fault. And I, of course, that tells you a lot, that statement right there. But my mother was, you know, would bend the, certainly bend the truth and Um, you know, was, was, was a beloved person uh, in, in all circles of life. She was a great storyteller. And, uh, but at any rate, um, so I had these, these two opposing kinds of approaches to everything. And so I don't know what, how I mixed it up or, or, you know, what I did, but I do find that a lot of it has to do with the fact that I just don't slow down and I'm just operating at a pace, which I'm operating on on other people's time on what I think other people's time is instead of just saying you know the phrase give me a minute can change your life how do you deal with people and then we're going to bring on our guest uh, how do you deal with people that um have the traditional people pleasing way of avoiding conflict doing anything to avoid conflict and and you know a lot of people grow up like this and I'm asking for a friend when you grow up in a in a in a place where you're actually thought of as a good person because you don't have needs, what how do you reshift that? How do you refocus that?
1: And that's a really good question because what lying usually is, I mean, unless it's malicious, and we're just talking about like escape lying, which is pretty much what you're describing. You know, we talked about fight, flight, or freeze. Lying is usually a very quick flight. It's like, how, look around, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? And it's, it's usually an escape. If I just say this and I'll deal with it later, you might deal with shame and regret and all kinds of other things later, but it's the same, it's the same issue that we talk about all the time on this show. It's like, you have to find in an instant a way to convince your brain that this is not life or death. You do not need to run in this moment. You need to actually stand there, be brave and say, you know what? Here's the truth. I didn't do it. Or I forgot, or, I shouldn't have said that. Or and and freedom—the freedom that comes from that—the the the payoff of that later is extraordinary, and you just kind of have to trust um, in yourself and trust in your brain that you're you're going to be okay, and it will always lead to freedom. Lying will will pretty much never work for you. There's always a cost, always.
0: And so does it have to do with being in integrity with what you're thinking and feeling inside and what you're saying and doing outside? Is that part of it? Is that the big part of it?
1: And and the truth is that really comes down to the difference between being nice and being kind. And nice can actually be toxic. It It can be toxic to the person you're being nice to because you're not giving them an accurate emotional sonar back right? And then we we figure out who we are and how we behave and the decisions we make when we talk to people, when people give us honest reactions. So you're actually not helping the person you're being nice to when you're thinking in your head, oh my God, why did I just say that? And why did I say yes to that when I don't mean it, right? That's not accurate. Um, And I think you're also not being nice to yourself in those moments where you agree to something or you're nice or you put your own needs aside to please someone else. And then later you're just left with this sick, awful feeling that comes from you basically ripping yourself off and not, not being true to yourself and not being true to your own integrity in that moment, right? So, so part of it comes back to learning to use those negative emotions sometimes, those feelings that we have in our body as emotional indicators, as our emotional GPS system. Don't just avoid them. They're information. Listen to it. Pay attention to it. And then really, if you really do want to be a nice person, sometimes you have to be kind. And sometimes being kind doesn't mean being nice. Hey, I love you. And I would love to take that shift for you. I really would. And in the past, I would say yes and then feel sick about it. But you know what? I'm too tired this weekend or I've done it too many times and I, you're, you're a resourceful person. You can figure it out. That's kind, right? To both of you, actually. Very big difference. Yeah. And you can feel it in your gut, right? You know the difference. Your body will tell you. When you're going, oh, sure, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And inside you're screaming, you're being nice.
0: So there's a difference between being nice and kind.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when there's, it's not in sync and when it's not integrated. And listen, there are times when you may say yes to something because your friend's having a really tough time and you really don't want to say yes, but in that moment, you know that's the right thing to do. But then you're lined up with love with yourself and you're like, okay, I really don't want to do it, but boy, does my friend ever need it? And that's very different from going, sure, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll write that for you. I'll I'll do that shift for you. And you're like going home going, I can't believe I just said yes to that. Unbelievable. And then that's, you know, when you sort of have these imaginary arguments where you'd really like to say what you're going to say, but you don't actually say it. And then you meet the person and you're like, okay, yeah, sure. No problem. (laughs) And walk away out of integrity again with yourself.
0: Yes, I need to. I definitely need to take a trip with myself and and sit down and have a long conversation and see what's going on and actually see if we can match it up here. But right now, I want to bring on our guest, uh, who is somebody that I've known for so many years. And met originally at the San Diego Improv, the Pacific Beach Improv, where there was the greatest comedy in the world, Bill Hicks, Gary Shandling, you name it, the best comics in the world. And I was a young comic. Uh, I had hair back then. And I met uh, this gentleman who is a true multi-hyphenate, like very multi-talented person, great storyteller, comedian, photographer, musician um and someone who has done a lot of uh, a lot of podcasting a lot of storytelling a lot of work has multiple podcasts running at the at, at the moment and that's mike carano and mike first of all good morning and second of all what year is it and third of all um
2: third of all thanks for freaking me out with this uh lying stuff it's so heavy. And I'm doing some introspective thinking right now. And I'm, I come from a long line of liars and people pleasers and uh, wow.
0: Well, you and I are both, we're, we're both going to be in the lying king.
2: Mm-hmm. We're doing a mu- <laughs> We're doing a musical called
0: the lying king. And it's going to, we're going to put music and headdresses on to disguise it, but it's going to be about lying. Um, no, I, now, first of all, this is interesting. I mean, you, you cope in a way in ways that, that are so creative. See, I cope in ways that are very boring, but you cope in some ways that are very creative. For example, you look at driving and taking road trips as a way of dealing with anxiety.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mostly distractions. Yeah, well, it's a
0: distraction, but it's a, it's a creative distraction in that it leads you to interesting places, people, and, and things. So how did that, where does that come from? How did you start doing that?
2: the road trip the road trip stuff started with anxiety and me just trying to run away and I would just drive somewhere as far as I could go, knowing I could get home before I fell asleep and I would take these fourteen fifteen hour road trips often i mean seventy eighty thousand miles a year without exaggeration on my car for a decade and 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 so
0: what would that what would that do for you and and where did that what kinds of places? did that lead you to? Is there an example of, like, you left feeling anxious, now you're on the road, you're headed towards someplace. Do you immediately relax?
2: I I sort of did back in the old days, but uh, it, pre-therapy and pre-sobriety, it was absolutely just madness. And I would just exhaust my brain to the point where I had no choice but to barely make it home and go to sleep. And that was kind of the purpose, I guess, subconsciously. But Now, when I take these long, rambling road trips, if I don't accomplish something, if I don't shoot some videos or take some pictures or something, just meditate, I feel like, what am I doing out here when I have work to do or I have a life back in Los Angeles? So everything has shifted and changed. And I don't love it. I don't love that I don't get that instant relief out of it. But it's better, you know, if I take a step back and look at it. I still do it. I still do it.
0: You frequent Death Valley quite
2: a bit. There's always a place like when I lived in Orange County for seven years, I went to Disneyland four or five days a week. And it wasn't because I'm this crazy Disneyland fanatic. It was just a, I'm running away and I'm rebelling. It's like everyone's at work and I'm at Disneyland. So F you, everybody. And then it switched to I stumbled upon Death Valley by accident, aimlessly driving around, and I became obsessed. And I have probably made 75 trips to Death Valley in the last seven or eight years. At least, at least. I've gone twice in a week before. And then it became the Madonna Inn up in San Luis Obispo. I would drive up there every other weekend, just have a piece of cake or have some dinner and then drive home, you know, seven hours in the car just for dinner. And it just became my my escape.
0: Was there ever you, was there ever a time when you invited somebody along?
2: The last girlfriend and I did that as our road trip, our monthly road trip. And it was really wonderful. And it was a whole different experience because I was sharing it with somebody. And that's what happens now is I get lonely on these trips and I want to share it with somebody. So it just becomes kind of sad. And I'm trying to, you know, entrench myself in making something when I'm out there. It doesn't always work.
0: And then you started making videos and you started, you're almost like a tour, a travel and tour guide. And then you're taking pictures. So you've, you've figured out ways to, you know, share this on, on YouTube and other platforms and in, in your storytelling.
2: I, I hope so. You know, I've, I've made a lot of vid- hundreds and hundreds of very long documentary style videos, but they're all private because I have a, you know, a, a group that pays for them and that's kind of how I'm making a living right now. But I think about, I need to, you know, cut that stuff up and put it, put more of it up. Because some of it's kind of funny and some of it's kind of interesting when I'm in a a good mood, you know, when I'm not angry.
0: Your own mental health, you know, and what's going on with you. How do you take care of yourself differently now than you did when you were younger? Uh,
2: Therapy. Therapy, sobriety and therapy. God, I sound like I'm so serious. I'm such a dud. But sobriety was the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my life everything changed and not for the better necessarily up front because now I had to deal with me and then a lot of therapy and the therapy was a surprise to me because I thought my, my life was normal. We all did, you know, my brothers and my sister and I, we thought our life was normal. And then when my brother had a baby, him and his wife had a baby, I remember sitting there my sister was holding him and she goes, imagine doing to him what mom did to us. And it became a never ending bonding for the four kids about the stuff my mom did to us and it was it was horrific you know it was non-stop horrific it was never good never had a pleasant moment with her from childhood up until she died six months ago and it it, it was just really sad and i know where my anger comes from i know where my lack of self-esteem comes from and i don't want to sit here as a 50 something year old guy and blame my mom you know anymore i just want to move forward and it's it's been a it's been a tough one. It's been it's been very tough. But my therapist probably saved my life.
0: Jennifer, can you can you speak to this in terms of?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, listen, we, we're all the product of programs, right? And those those programs get laid down in a, in a big way by our, you know, where we live and our community and our culture and our religion and all that stuff. But the, our parents are the architects of our brains, so we get programmed very early. I mean, we're all literally walking around with programs that were installed before the age of six, right? Around, you know, how we were treated. And, and when you have a traumatic childhood like that, when there's really literally nothing good, um, it's pretty tough. And it, it lays down some pretty difficult neural pathways in the brain, but you had each other, which is great, the siblings. Um, and then at a certain point with, and that's why therapy is such, I mean, I wish everybody in the world could have it. And I wish, you know, things like we talk about on this show could be taught in school, when kids are little because people don't realize, Oh, I can actually change my program. I don't, I don't necessarily, this is painful and I can get through this and I can feel it, but I don't have to, it doesn't have to define the rest of my life. Um, And so at a certain point we get to decide whether we're going to run that program or start our own program. And, and the things that our parents give us, we don't necessarily have to, you have to understand it and you have to work through it. And I, you know, I think the driving, it's so interesting because it was, it was so intense uh, for you, Mike, but you know the, the the brain just wants you to do something when you're panicked it just do something right so you did something you got in the car
2: yeah I, I, it's, it's funny cuz i'm just i'm thinking like wait a minute are you telling me my solution's not a good one <laughs> when i know all of my solutions are horrible horrible choices well it's run the gamut it went from you know my entire life has been buying things Going way over the top on everything. If I get into something, I get into it a thousand percent. I heard one Maria Callas song at the end of The Sopranos twenty years ago. I bought every single book. I bought her biography. I bought her box set. It's just that kind of thing where I'm all in a hundred percent at once. But that's probably because I'm an addict too. So,
1: well, listen. And the flip side to that is, you know, when you're passionate about something, where does that? Where does one begin and the other? Right? It's all. It's about integrating the brain and having balance. But the truth is, all of us, not just you, we all run. Right. We either physically get in the car and drive, which you did for hours and hours, or we buy things or we disappear into a Netflix hole or we, you know, people smoke things and drink things. We do everything possible not to feel. Right. And our our emotions are relentless and they love us and they're there to teach us something and they will hound us and follow us. And you can drive for 14 hours and it's still there when you get back. Right. Or it was still over your shoulder while you were driving. And so what we talk about so often on this show that, and this is why it's important to have therapy or, or just really good friends, people who can support you, but, um, but to know that you can't, you can't run from those feelings. They will chase you. They will hound you. They will be right on your heels until you turn around and, uh, experience them and, and actually feel them, which is what you did when you became sober too. Right.
2: Yeah. It's funny though, because my the last four or five years have been really a focus on calming things down in my head. And I get it. And I still resist. And I still choose to not meditate some days and decide, you know, I'm going to I'm just going to be manic today. And I guess that's like a drug, too. I guess that's a thing that's taken me out of whatever. I don't enjoy it.
1: Well, and sometimes you do the best you can on on whatever day it is. Right. Like maybe that is the best you can do some days. And that's all right. Like the most important part is to be kind to ourselves. And when we talk about self-parenting, you know, you have to support yourself and be kind to yourself. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff. There's been a lot of shit you've had to deal with, right? And it's it's heavy. And, and we all have uh, certain amounts of it that we carry around like this horrendous luggage that just goes everywhere that we go. Um, and you don't have to deal with it all at once either. Like, it sounds to me like there was a nice progression with your driving. Like at first it was frantic and then it kind of changed and now it shifted and and now you do it for different reasons.
2: Yeah. Everything is, everything has changed. It's just, I, I, am I'm afraid of change. You know, my life is like Ed's. I'm a lot of fear. And, you know, I mean all, everything you guys talked about, I absolutely relate to with the confrontation issue. I'm not good at confrontations. And then when I do confront somebody, it's way over the top. It's way beyond the call of any decent human
1: Well, and and that's what happens to people pleasers, right? They they take it and they take it and they please and they please. But then you've had God knows what with your mother sort of building up in you that when you finally do have to set that limit, it comes out way harsher than you meant it to. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? That was like a whole lifetime, right? So one of the simplest things that I think we can all do is, first of all, recognize that we're all running, that fear is, um, listen, it loves us. Anxiety loves us. It's just trying to keep us alive. It's just trying to protect us. It's not an evil thing. Um, It just feels excruciating in the body. Anxiety is one of the most intolerable feelings. It is, it is, pain is preferable to some people, right? It's just, it's like your whole body's electric and on fire and you just want to jump out of your body and run down the street. But one of the things that can actually really work, and this is why therapy is also really important too, is when you just stop, and you turn and you literally put your hand on your heart and you say, okay, this is what it feels like to have fear. This is what human, go- human beings go through all the time. Our, our, our you know, bodies that are really primal, that are designed, they're not designed to handle all this emotion, right? And just knowing that we feel this way because we care so much, moving right into the fear, right towards it and saying, okay, all right. This is excruciating, but I'm going to sit here for a minute. I'm just going to sit here for a minute. And what often happens to many of our, to, to, to our surprise, is that it starts to alchemize. It starts to metabolize. It starts to actually go away because all it wants you to do is listen. But we never listen. We drink and we drive and we run and we pretend and we lie and we watch Netflix and we buy things and hoping that it will just go away. But it's always there nipping at our heels.
0: right? For me, I know that the biggest hurdle, the biggest resistance, the biggest challenge is my commentary about what I'm doing. If I blame myself and I make myself feel badly about the fact that I made a poor choice or that I did something, you know, I used to be a person who hid. I just didn't come out of my house. And then uh, people would call on the phone. This is years and years ago, but people would call. My friends were looking for me, and they didn't know where I went. And they would be like, what happened to you? And I would say, like, oh, I got a job in Chicago. And it would be like, I wasn't in Chicago. Oh, I was in my room. I was hiding. And then I met a guy. One day, I was in an improv class, and I started talking to this guy, and he told me that what he used to do when he was overwhelmed or he felt certain things or he got depressed is he would hide. And so two hiders met each other and they came out of hiding and they knew that they were okay. And that's what happened is that I, I didn't think anybody else did this. And so as a result, I made myself feel bad about what I was doing. And this is a pattern. This is something that you know occurs where you, it's not that you do a certain thing. It's that you tell yourself you're a bad person for doing that thing. And that is what you want to shift.
2: Well, it just gave me... It gave me tools and it took a long time because I'm a slow learner and I also think I know more than everybody. So, what there's, you know, three or four big things equanimity. I didn't even understand what that word meant. And now I use it almost every day. This will pass the good and the bad. Don't let my ego get wrapped up in something. It's going to pass. And when something bad happens, oh, I've got a dentist appointment, day shot, everything's ruined. And then, I go down there and I just get a cleaning and it's done. And I'm like, why was that so scary? And why did I, did I let that screw up the four hours preceding it? It's everything. Even, even deaths or anything like that, it's going to pass. And and it's that was a big one for me. And when you said the put your hand in your heart thing, it reminded me of the first thing Annadel taught me. Which, of course, didn't sink into my thick skull for a long time, which was, that's not your breath. She goes, just constantly, when your head starts spinning, just go, that's not my breath, and bring it back to your breath. And I do that, I don't say often, but I do do it, and it does work, where I go, wait a minute, I'm living in the future, making up a story in my head about something that's going to happen. I relive an argument, or I I make up an argument with somebody, and I, I have the dialogue going, and I'm shaking. My adrenaline is going. And I just have to go, this isn't real. I made this up. And it's so difficult to accept that my thoughts are not true. <laughs> what a blow to the ego.
1: <laughs> yeah. And some of, the, some of them are, are literally fake thoughts. They're intrusive fake thoughts. We all have this, right? So, and we do a lot of what ifing. Like, Like anxiety is really about injecting yourself into the future. And depression is really about injecting yourself into the past. Right. And it's sort of knowing, and Ed and I talk about this all the time. It's like just gently observing and not in this, like, I should know better. I've had therapy for years. Like, that's not it. In this loving parental, like the best mom you could ever have, you need to be for yourself. And on some days you're going to do better than other days and just gently going, Oh, interesting. There they are. Those are those thoughts. They're coming back. That's so familiar. And then I do a lot of teaching people to, to just gently shift their thoughts to something else. Even for a few seconds, just think about something neutral. Think about something else. And then you come back to your scary thoughts and then you shift back to something neutral. And guess what? The more you work on that, the more you gain control over what you're thinking about. And when you can control what you're thinking about, you can control how you feel.
2: You know what? I'm fascinated by what you just said, both of you guys, because the idea of making a choice to me is in my life, the only choice I made that I knew I was going to keep is I'm sober. And everything else I failed at. I'm going to eat healthy. I failed at. I'm going to start exercising daily. I failed at that. I'm going to read more. I failed at that. And what is it? But what is it that gets you as a person, like if somebody wants to quit smoking, if somebody wants to quit doing this, what is it that gets you to cross that threshold? Like where, where does that lie in you? Because some days I notice if I wake up and, you know, I wake up, man, I can, I'm sure you do too, Ed. I'm sorry, Jennifer. I can't speak for you, but I wake up like, "Oh God, everything's everything's falling apart. Everything's over, and it's nothing's happened. I just slept," and yeah. But I, what is the choice that I have made in the past that I don't believe, even though I've see, I've witnessed it, that I can choose to have a better day? I can wake up and go, "I'm choosing to look at this day as a gift," and you know, because I'm going to die. And I want to make the most of every day and I don't. And then that eats away at me for months or for forever where I'm like, I wasted a week. I wasted two weeks. I wasted a year right now. I wasted a year.
1: Well, and you sound to me like, I mean, and this is often very common with comedians and creative people. They have a brain that fractalizes, right? So if this happens and that happens, and then if that happens and for sure that's going to happen, it just, it can literally take off on you. And you have no idea how you went from opening your eyes to being in a complete panic. And, and what happens with an amazing brain like this, the shadow of that brain is really can be scary and dark and ugly because your brain can do it the other way, right? It can do it in a, in a creative, positive way where you, you're like just creating amazing things that make people laugh and, oh yeah, that's why that's funny because I think that too. And then it'll, it can turn on you in exactly the, the opposite direction, right? So this idea, this is why I'm so big on trying to help kids. Like If you could grow up knowing that you can actually control your thoughts, you aren't your thoughts, you aren't your story, you're the storyteller, that's huge, right? That's absolutely huge. And when you wake up, and so many people right now are fighting with anxiety to such a degree, it, with, with everything that's happening in the world, it is absolutely epidemic right now. It really is. and it, And it's miserable, absolutely miserable. And so when you wake up in the morning and you open your eyes and you're like, and your stomach drops out, Right. And that's, and all of a sudden your brain, I had someone explain it to me the other day that it's like, you open your eyes and you feel like you're on an elevator and it's hanging by a thread and you're in, you know, the elevator's going to drop. That's literally how you start your day. Great. So now go be creative and why don't you work out with it? <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, imagine trying, well, you don't have to imagine. That's try to function that way. Like your brain won't even let you. It thinks you're about to, you know, be eaten by something or the elevator's going to drop. So just taking a second, putting your hand on your heart and going, okay, I'm registering this fear. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to welcome it because it's my brain trying to save me. Before you can convince your brain that there's nothing there, first you have to listen. Right? Think about it this way. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually reminds me, it answers the the question that one of you were asking a second ago, but think about it this way. Let's say you went to the mall and I don't know if you have kids, but let's say you had a kid. And they're five and you can't find them. They're gone. You've looked everywhere. You are freaking out. You are running around looking for them. And the security guard comes up and goes, you know what? Why don't we do do some deep breathing together? Let's go to our happy place. You're going to be like, are you kidding me? You'll shove the guy out of the way. You'll punch him in the face and you'll go find your kid, right? So when you're in that much of a panic, you must listen, to those feelings first, which means going right in and recognizing, okay, thank you. You're trying to save me. You're trying to tell me something. I'm going right into this fear. Sometimes in your body and see if you guys can do this. You can actually find the fear. You know the exact point that it is in your chest, where you know exactly where it is in your throat, where you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. And you almost fold inward and just kind of relax into it and find the pinpoint of that feeling. And then it will start to dissipate.
0: Yeah, gently, gently shifting, you know, is 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 a big thing. You know, years ago I was studying something called the Sedona method, and it was just a a a way of welcoming. The idea was that there's something between expression and 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 suppression, and that's welcoming and letting go, simply dropping it, and and making a choice to drop it. And so this idea, I was walking down the street one day, and all of a sudden I thought, you know, I start to have these thoughts and these feelings, and I said. Well, I wonder, could I just welcome it? And could I ask it to do more? Soon as I asked it to do more, it dissipated. And then all of a sudden, after years of therapy, I made the connection of, of like, I can make choices about my thoughts and feelings. And I felt it in my body. It was like, I made a decision. I said, could, I asked myself, could, it, could I be more upset? And as soon as I did, it kind of dissipated.
1: Ugh, we are so complicated human beings. It, I, I can teach you two really simple things that I might help everyone. And, and the first one is, and it sounds so stupid, but you literally just observe yourself and you're like, okay, I'm a human being. Human beings are complicated and we're messy and we overthink and it's intense and it's really not fun to be human. Um, but the truth is this is how a human being feels when they're scared. or This is how a human being feels when they're um you know, being lied to, or they're, they're being rejected. It sounds like such a simple thing, but the minute you start observing yourself from this higher place, it shifts. Then a couple of things you can do, which are incredibly powerful and so simple to do is you imagine, let's use your example, Mike, where you wake up in the morning and you're just in a panic <laughs> for no reason. And lots of people wake up that way. I Why would up they the even put that,
2: that thread in that. there?
1: And I used all these techniques that I'm teaching. Get somebody you, right? from Otis on the line. You wake up at four o'clock in the morning and they're like, oh, before you know it, everything you worried about has been sucked back into your body and brought into your attention, right? So you kind of do that thing, you know, the things that I taught you, but you can also just imagine taking a snapshot of yourself. Like imagine a picture of you like, ah, right in the middle of like panicking, right? And you imagine that photograph and, and with your hands, you actually imagine shrinking it and just making it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's an itty bitty little thing, like a, like a postage stamp. Then you reach out grab that postage stamp with your hand and drag it down to the left and drop it. And unless you're like, if you're in full panic attack mode, this won't work. If it's just kind of starting, if you're catching it early, it's the weirdest thing. It'll go away. You can also imagine just pushing it away from you. That can also work really, really well. Or the best one is floating way, way up higher above it. And so it gets smaller and smaller. And then if you're still feeling it, you're like, nope, I need to go higher. And then you go higher and you're like, nope, I can still feel it and they float up higher and higher and higher and imagine that you're looking at this itty bitty little postage stamp of a problem at the bottom. The brain is so interesting. It thinks in pictures and it thinks, and it basically listens to what you tell it. So if you're, if you're telling yourself you're, you're in a panic, it just wants to do what you think you want. And it, and it, it goes into protection mode and into saving you. And if you can shift it with a picture, like I just taught you, it'll make a huge difference. Another really lovely technique, which works is you kind of imagine that you take your fear out of wherever it is in your chest or your head or your throat, wherever it is, and you put it in your left hand. Okay. And you imagine it in your left hand and then you give it a shape. So maybe it's, I don't know, like a a ball or something. And then you imagine that it give it a color, it's gray or it's black or it's bright red or whatever you want to give it. You, You just kind of, there's no right or wrong. And you just hold it in your hand. Just holding it in your hand can make you feel better because now your brain thinks, oh, thank God she did something about it. It's it's, at least she's dealing with it, right? Remember the, the limbic brain does not, the part of the brain that goes into fight or flight just wants you to take action. It just wants you to run away or hide from the tiger that's about to eat you. So it just, it will keep badgering you until you do something, right? Then you take your right hand and in your right hand, you imagine, you know, feeling great and laughing with friends and peace and just, relaxing and just feeling joyful and happy and creative and you imagine that in your right hand and then you kind of close your eyes and you imagine that on the planet right now there are billions of people that are basically opening presents or getting amazing news or they just got a puppy or they're at their wedding or they found something that they've lost or honestly that energy is happening all the time all over the planet to billions and billions of people And you just kind of imagine that you're tapping into that energy and it's like flowing through you. This again, these are all images that just teach the brain. Oh, okay. Then you take your left hand and your right hand and you put them together as if they're in a ball and you imagine that uh, dark, whatever shape you gave it morphing into the bright yellow, happy ball or whatever that you made in your right hand. And these are so simple and they sound so ridiculous, but the The left the the part of the brain that just wants you to be safe will not leave you alone until you take action, and those very simple things can actually catch you and prevent you from going into a panic attack.
0: Mike, and I feel like and those are those are great, all using imagination, which is the most powerful tool you have, because look, we use our imagination to imagine the worst and and we know how that works. You can use your imagination you know, to propel you uh, forward, to calm you down and to create and to do all kinds of things. You don't, you know, it can be used constantly. Mike, you're a photographer. You've traveled to so many interesting places. You have these pictures inside of you that you've actually experienced. So I wonder, you know, how many of them can actually be called up. I know they're called up all the time in your storytelling, but can they be called up, you know, to actually you know, calm you down and shift your perspective when you're.
2: I don't know. I don't know about that, but I do know that they conjure pleasant memories. Like when I see, like just for anybody, if you see pictures of yourself at an event, they always bring back pleasant memories. And then if somebody goes, Oh, and here's a video too. And you're like, Oh, it wasn't as fun as I remember now that I see the video. It's such a weird thing, but you know, what's got what's going through my head as you're explaining that technique was, how childish i am because all i could think was you got something easier do you have another easier way like is there some operation i can get can i ask a question of both you guys that's been on my mind for a long long time i know some of this stuff is left over from whatever caveman days where we don't really need the, some of these types of anxieties that we still have you know because there's no saber-toothed tiger sitting outside of our cave or whatever what what would be the biological purpose of an ego? Because for the life of me, it's been nothing but negative for me. And, and I never thought I had an ego. And apparently what I've learned is I have a huge ego because it causes me just tremendous suffering. And I wonder what do you think would be the, why would it be built into us to have this thing?
1: Okay. Well, I would say, I think it really comes down to um, self-preservation, like avoiding annihilation right? Like if, if that, I just need to do whatever I need to do that, the power to stay alive, as much as you think you're depressed or you're anxious and you're the, the drive that all of that anxious energy is all comes down to one thing. I love you. Stay alive. I don't care what it looks like, just stay alive.
2: But why, why, why do you, why do we want other people to recognize us and love us so much? Why do I want people? I don't like to like me.
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think it's part of the essence of just being human. We're such interesting creatures. We're capable of so much. Yeah. Well, probably, honestly, you're trying to achieve mastery over the one person in the world who wouldn't do it. I appreciate you saying
2: there's it. only one person.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one yeah. person who well, doesn't no, like I, Really,
1: there is. There's <laughs> the one person in the world who should, who should love you no matter what sucked Mm. at it that's the truth wow yeah right and so you you are when and listen it comes down to this when a baby is born okay and there's those little moments between the baby and the and the mom or the primary caregiver and you're looking they're making little faces and you're looking back at them as that's happening we are developing this sense of of being alive and being loved and being important and mattering right that's that, that sense of, of, of deep feeling love and those chemicals, and that's why, that's why I loved your joke at the beginning, the queen of oxytocin, but when a, a baby and a, and a caregiver are having that exchange, oxytocin is flooding the brain. Oxytocin is known as the tend and befriend hormone or, hormone or one of the, the here and now chemicals that is the most powerful chemical. Those reward chemicals of feeling deeply seen and loved we crave for the rest of our lives. If we don't have them, and if we don't get them from our caregiver, from our parent, guess what? We look elsewhere. Drugs.
2: Is there a chance you can overdo it and make that little drug addict an oxy?
1: The good news is you cannot. You cannot, right? But if but if you're seeking it for the wrong reasons, right? It's, it has to be really. It has to be love, like real love, which we have all around us. And sometimes when we're frantic, we ignore okay, you love me. There must be something wrong with you. I got to go find someone who doesn't love me and make them love me, <laughs> right? That's, that becomes the journey because what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you're trying to rewrite that, that initial wound, that initial trauma of your mom, whoever she was, she was somebody who, she had how many kids? Four, there are four of you. So four kids and she made them all feel like how your sister felt, right? When you're, you held your
2: yeah. It was, it was really a, a case of like the ultimate narcissism, which sounds like such an innocuous word, but when you really break it down, you're like, Oh wow, that was really it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, she was very, very mentally ill. And I, I just want to throw in cause I don't want to make this a bash my dead mom thing, but you know, my therapist, the biggest help that I got up front was your mom is mentally ill. So when I would try to have a discussion with her or, anything any interaction i would keep in my mind she's mentally ill and it really made things better really really made things better
1: it does because what would happen is yeah she was she was full of cognitive distortions her brain altered everything that came into it so yeah yeah and then you know part of the freedom from comes from it's not that she wouldn't be a good mom she couldn't
2: oh yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah, I agree with that completely. Who who would make the decision to be a horrible, terrifying mom? Like who would do, no one would do that.
1: No, no. And and, and if it's not me- mental illness, sometimes trauma can do that, right? A parent can have such a traumatic upbringing that they just can't. They're, the wiring is just off.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she was raped by her dad multiple times. and uh, And then she made her four little kids move in with him, which is even weirder.
0: Listen, listen, listen! If you're listening to this and you've driven off the road, <laughs> let me just say: stay where you are, keep your hands on the wheel, put it into park, if you would, and spray some oxytocin. Because Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, no! But uh, listen, all of those things are, you know, if you if you listed them and you told somebody about them, they'd be like, "Why are you going on?"
2: I'd like to hear what you what you were going to say about ego, though, Ed, because. Uh... Well, I was going to say about ego, I was going to say if somebody told
0: you, that, you were, that, that there was no separation between you and anything else in the world and that you were all one consciousness and that, and that you had limitless potential and that you're a magnet and everything that you think has a vibration, if you were told those things, you probably would want to develop an ego because you probably couldn't, can, couldn't handle it or explain it.
2: Mm. What about from your career as a comic and a writer? Like where has it, has has it affected you negatively?
0: Well, I'm in park and I'm on the side of the road Um, and I'm spraying oxytocin out of a fire hose. Um, No, but I, no, what I, I, um, you know, listen, Mike, the biggest things that have affected me are the things that go on inside of me and the things that I don't attend to. That's the, those are the things that have affected me the most, um, negatively, I say, um, because it's a two-way conversation, which I never realized until you know, pretty recently, is that you can talk back to your thoughts and feelings, and you can actually acknowledge them, and that mental health, part of mental health, is having a conversation with what's going on with you. And that, and that we don't realize, no, like no one ever said this. No one ever said you could talk to anxiety. No one ever said you could relate to your anger. Nobody ever said you could, you could ask yourself the question, what's going on with me right now? No one ever said you could close your eyes and, and breathe for two seconds. Nobody ever said you could smile to, your, to a part of yourself. These are all things that, that are available at all times. Nobody ever said that there's something called accurate thinking. There's catastrophizing, there's leapfrogging, there's all kinds of things you're doing with the way you're thinking, and it's, they're just habits. And they can be changed. They can be shifted. You can talk to anxiety. Well, you can do, any, you can do anything. The creativity that you can have, you, you are an incredibly creative person, a wildly creative person on so many levels, that, that simple things that are so far below what you do creatively, but that are so available to you, are there all the time. You can ask these questions. You can have conversations with anxiety. You can say, oh, there you are, anxiety, trying to help me again. Oh, I see. Well, I'm gonna do this right now and play some music, but I know you're trying to protect me. Thank you, here I am, you know, and there's my old friend. And so these are, you know, these are things that change everything. These moments change everything and they're always there. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, we don't learn that these things exist and they exist and we're going to keep learning them and people are talking about them now but the issue is and for me because i have to work with jennifer i've worked with other people and 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 learn some amazing skills i have to practice them once in a while
2: yeah
0: is jennifer your therapist jennifer is the world's therapist she is
2: the therapist of the world well, i'm curious how you guys met like how this relationship started
0: Jennifer and I met on, we met on, we were, we met on a parent. We were doing a video series about teaching people about parenting skills and we had improvisers come in and they would act out life situations. And then we would bring Jennifer in and she would say, what, we'd say, what's the skill? And she would teach this technique, these various techniques. And then we would redo the scene with the new technique. So we, though, that's how we met. And of course, immediately when I saw her, I was like, well, I have to know more about this person. And, and, you know, and so that's how we became friends.
1: It also comes down to what we talked about in the beginning is turning around and facing the fear, right? Because your anxiety is not going to want you to learn any of this stuff. Are you kidding me? It's not going to want you to do one single thing that I've told you today. Because, right. It's like, you were you crazy? Don't listen to her. Don't read that book. Don't try that strategy. You'll get rid of me and you need me. Right. So it's, it's sort of being able to turn around and kind of challenge it a little bit. And, you know, I say to people, if you have time to worry, then you have time to do the stuff that we're talking about to train your brain, not to worry. And, you know, I've seen huge changes in people that could barely function that are truly their brain is integrated now. And they are, they are, are are integrated and they they think what they want to think, and they know what to do if they start to go off the rails and you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And part of it is about self-love and caring about yourself enough to do it.
0: And, and your biggest issue is going to be that you're going to have so much spare time that you're going to try to figure out what the hell you're going to do with your life because there's so much, you're going to have so much spare time.
1: You know what though, Ed? This is, this is so important that you said that because honestly, a lot of my clients that I work with, when they finally kind of rewired their brain, it's almost there's like ghost firings. And the brain's like, find something, find something. And you'll, you'll like literally search through everything you can think of until you find something that's going to make you anxious because there's a little bit of an addictive quality in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to know how to, like, how to recognize that and how to put something else in there. Yeah. Well, the same way your brain can believe you if you're creating a scenario that's negative, it doesn't know that you're thinking about it. It thinks you're in it right? So when you're authorizing it and, and, and sort of taking yourself down that road, it thinks you're there already, but you can do the exact same thing as you, Mike, you talked about this by looking at a picture or flip through your phone or listen to music or look at a little bird outside. Anything can actually shift.
0: And if you want to find something, I can give you a million things, but it starts with the letters CNN. That would be the beginning of it. And you put on those letters, almost anything with three letters can get you back there. But the, but but here but here's the thing. You can go the other way. You can take a look at a picture. You, there is there are limitless things that you can do. Think about what makes you feel good and actually uh, have that feeling. We've talked about that a lot too. close your eyes and have that feeling for 30 seconds. We all have things that make us feel good. What, no matter what it is, it's your pants. Jennifer talks about this all the time.
2: I think that's spectacular. I I wonder what, again, I wonder what it is. What's the precipice? Where's the area where people make the decision to employ the tools? Because that, for me, is the hardest part. I get good advice, and I go, okay, I got that. I'll just throw it in my pocket, and I'll never use it.
0: Well, yeah, it seems simple, but that's what anxiety is speaking in your brain. That part of your brain is speaking. It says, how could it be that simple? It's not that simple. It actually is that simple. And it's simply believing that it's simply experiencing that or allowing yourself to try it, allowing yourself to try it. And even if you don't try it, I thought about it. I was aware of it. I'm still going to go down the rabbit hole, but I'm aware that I'm going down the rabbit hole. And that's different than going at it unconsciously. That's different.
2: Here's something that's on that weighs on me a lot. And I I'm not saying I need an answer from you guys right now, but I I want to just lay this out there. I know what to do to lead a better life. I know if I get up in the morning and I journal sounds goofy, but I know that I know the lot, as far as the line goes in the beginning of the conversation, if I don't lie, there's less weight on my shoulders. And I feel more what I consider to be spiritual, like just more in tune. And I feel better about myself. Otherwise it just chips away at me to where I really, really hate myself. But So if I wake up and I write like one page, like, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm going to do today, blah, blah, blah. It makes me feel better. If I sit for five minutes and just close my eyes and just breathe, my day is better. Now, what is it that keeps me from doing that? Because sometimes I tell myself, do you want to feel better or not? And I don't know why I'm resisting still. Everything like I'm a middle-aged man, and I still resist like I'm a child. Like I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it.
0: Uh I'm not good at it either. Because, but, but the fact that you give yourself a second a bit is is very, very good. And for anybody who's listening, you know, these skills are accessible. They are things that you can choose in any moment. And that's why, as Jennifer said, that's why we do the show. And I want you to look at ConnectedParenting.com because um, that is a place where you can find a lot of skills uh, that Jennifer teaches um, at ConnectedParenting.com. All kinds of media, uh, podcasts, videos, classes, support services, books, all kinds of things. So go to connectedparenting.com. You are a classic, you're a great example of, it's like the energy of Jack Kerouac and Rick Steve came together. No, but you have, you have that energy, the descriptive energy of, of like travel and places that you've been and being able to tell stories. Thanks to Mike Carano. And of course, as always, my partner, Jennifer Collari. That's our show for this week. Look and find Mike Carano all over social media, on YouTube, look for his videos, look for him on Patreon, and if you want to subscribe, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts or you can find us at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, Media com for all the show notes and all the information. Leave us a review. Share the podcast. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time.